All righty. So how you doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter. I want to welcome everyone out to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. I want to welcome all those that are here in the Father's house at the sanctuary. I want to welcome all those that are watching online around the country. Uh, we have a lot of people from Kentucky, Illinois, New York, people that tune in from all over the country, even Seattle, all different places. And I just want to welcome everyone on our online family. I want to welcome those that are here for the first time. Thank you for uh, just welcome our newcomers. Thank you for being here for the first time. And I just want to kick off a three-week series uh, starting. I want to do three messages on Easter, uh, on the cross. And tonight I'm going to be talking about the finished work of Christ. But I got a question for you. What were some of the most memorable words spoken by people that you can think of? Some of the most memorable words. Well, I, I ran across a story this week, a guy by the name of Russ Solomon. Russ Solomon was a music-loving visionary who built a global retail empire. He started the store Tower Records. It's, a lo it's the largest company ever started uh, from Sacramento, California. I remember even in the village in New York, there was a big Tower Records. Well, this guy died. Sunday night. He was 92 years old, and he died watching the Academy Awards ceremony. And as he was watching the, the Academy Awards ceremony, he apparently had a heart attack. By the way, I was telling my wife this story, and she said, and I quote, if I had to watch the Academy Awards, I would have had a heart attack as well, too. Okay? It would have killed me, too. But ironically, this guy was giving his opinion of what someone was wearing and he, and that he thought was really, really ugly. And then he asked his wife, Patty, to refill his whiskey. And when she returned, he died. It's a true story. I, read, I just read it uh, on the Internet because everything on the Internet is true. His last words were, that dress was ugly. Please give me some more whiskey. Those were his last words. Imagine that. Frank Sinatra's. Last words were, before he passed away, I'm losing it. Well, that's what happens when you do it your way. And Johnny Ace, an R&B, some of the guys on the worship team may know who Johnny Ace is, an R&B singer died in 1954 while playing with a pistol during a break in his concert set. His last words were, I'll show you that it won't shoot. John Wayne, who passed away at 72, turned to his wife and said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. Isn't that sweet? Billy Graham's last words were, I love you, to his granddaughter when he passed away a couple weeks ago. There was an 18-year-old college student named Taylor Sawyer. She was driving from Utah State to her parents' home in Idaho, sending text messages every 90 seconds on a four-hour drive. After sending this text, I can't discuss this right now. Driving in Facebook and Facebooking is not safe. Ha ha. And that's when she slammed into the back of a truck at 80 miles per hour. Passed away. Those are the last things that she said. That was her last statement. Charles Gooseman was a writer and TV announcer who wrote the pilot episode of Days of Our Lives. Sound like our testimony, right? It's a famous soap opera. As he became ill said he wanted his last words to be memorable. When his daughter reminded him of this, he gently removed his oxygen mask and whispered, and now for a final word from our sponsor. That was his last words. 
Wilson Misner is best known for his bon mots. In other words, witty, clever sayings. He's known for the line, be nice to people on the way up because you'll meet the same person on the way down. When Misner was on his deathbed, a priest said, I'm sure you want to talk to me. And Misner said, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking to your boss. And uh, Bo Diddley, I love this one, died giving a thumbs up as he listened to the song, Walk Around Heaven. His last word was, wow. I love that. And according to Steve Jobs' sister Mona, the Apple, the founder of Apple, his last words were, before he passed away, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, it is. Now, out of all the famous people with famous last quotes, nothing compares to the fame. And the last public statement spoken by none other than Jesus Christ before he died on the cross. The Greek word that he spoke, and it was a Greek word that he spoke, one word in Greek, but translated in English, three words. It was one of seven statements that he made. This was the sixth statement that he actually made. And the Greek word that he said on the cross was tetelestai. Everybody say that. Tetelestai, which in English means it is finished or paid in full. Now, one could argue that tetelestai is the greatest word spoken from the greatest man on one of the greatest days in the history of the universe. John's account in 1930 says this, not the year 1930, in John chapter 19, verse 30, says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished, tetelestai. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Charles Spurgeon, which a lot of tonight's talk comes from, I do a lot of Spurgeon studying and look at a lot of what Spurgeon says, said this about the word telestai. It's an ocean of meaning in a drop of a language, a mere drop. It would need all the other words that were ever spoken or can ever be spoken to explain this one word. It's altogether immeasurable. It is high. I can't even attain it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished is the most charming note in all of Calvary's music. Now, tetelestai comes from the verb teleo. Everybody say teleo. Teleo. Sounds like a Queen song, right? All right. (laughs) Which means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. This is a crucial word because it signifies the successful end to a particular course of action. It's a word of celebration. It's a word of jubilation. It's a word of a great, great achievement. It's the word you would use if you ever had the power to climb the peak of Mount Everest. It's the word you would use when you would make the final payment on your house or a student loan, which you pay, which you pay month after month after month. It's the word, the word means more than I just survived. It means I did exactly what I set out to do. But there's more to the verb itself, just the word itself. The telestai is presented and said in what's called the perfect tense in Greek. And here's what the perfect tense means. And this is really, really important. I want you to understand this. Because the perfect tense speaks of an action which has been completed in the past with results that continue in the present, which is today. It's different from the past tense 
which looks back at an event and says, this actually happened. You see, the perfect tense adds the idea that this happened in the past, but it's still in effect today. See, when Jesus cried out to tell us die, it is finished, he meant it was finished in the past, it's still finished in the present, and it's going to remain finished in the future. This is an active word, an active concept, not one other fact. Jesus didn't say, I am finished, for that would imply that he died defeated. He didn't die defeated. Rather, he cried out, it is finished. I set out to complete the work that I came here for, leaving no unfinished work behind. Jesus completed everything that he came to this planet to do. So question number one, what did he finish? Because a lot of us don't really understand this. See, here's what he finished. You see, the problem of sin and the debt of sin that no one could pay, that's what he finished. This is a big concept. This is something that a lot of us overlook in our lives. You see, sin is a debt incurred by all of us and cannot be paid because of one reason, the holiness and the perfection of God. And that's the reason. Because the one we owe, God, he's perfect. We're not. He's a perfect God. See, you can never, ever pay your way back to perfection. See, anyone, anyone here have a debt that you've been paying back for years and you're wondering when it's going to end and you think it's never going to end? Of course we have. But the debt of sin was paid in full by Jesus. And believe it or not, it's not something that most of us, that most people believe in. And you ask the question, why? Because a lot of people have the mindset and the belief that if I do enough good things, if I go to church, if I just give my money away, if I get involved in a ministry, I can pay off the debt that I owe to a holy God. Because most people, believe it or not, believe that God grades on the curve, just like your math teacher would. They take the average score of everyone's scores, and they make that the high score. God doesn't grade on the curve like your teachers or your professors did. So why did Jesus say it is finished? Because up until the cross, the debt for sin had not been paid. It was never paid. Something had to happen. And until Jesus died, everyone tried to pay their sin debt on a layaway plan, a layaway plan of faith, trusting that someday a Savior would come, a Savior would be born, and a Savior would come to take away their sins. They were on the layaway plan of faith, hoping that one day their sins would be taken away. You see, the deal is commit your first sin, you're no longer perfect. And again, God doesn't grade on the curve. And I want to tell you this today, coming close, coming close, because that's what a lot of us think we're going to get to heaven on, coming close, doesn't cut it with a holy God. I used to watch Tiger Woods when he was in his prime. He's actually leading a golf tournament this weekend, trying to make a comeback. But when he, he, when he was in his prime as a professional golfer, no one could beat this guy. I mean, nobody could beat Tiger Woods. No other professional golfers could beat this guy. He won so much that other professional golfers were content, were content 
for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, as long as they got in the top 10, they were happy. If someone finished second, it was a victory for another golfer because of how much Tiger was winning. See, Tiger's domination of the sport created a defeatist attitude and mindset of almost every professional golfer. Golfers were happy just to get money finishing in the top 10 instead of winning tournaments because they, were no, they knew that they were playing against somebody better than them. They, were, they knew that they were playing against someone that they could never, ever achieve their goals against. And because of sin and the effect that sin has on our lives, most people have a defeatist attitude towards sin. Because sin wins out so many times in our effort to live a godly life, a defeatist attitude starts taking control of our lives. Here's what a defeatist attitude looks like. We say things like, well, I'm not as bad as others. It's the best that I can do. So I'll just give myself a moral victory. I'm not like an evil terrorist, a murderer, a host on The Voice or, or the, the View. You, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, I'm a good person. I'm basically good. I'm not like those others. And that's what a defeatist will say about themselves. And I just want to say this. Just because you're a nice person, just because you're, you're a good person, you do good things, it's never enough to persuade God to open up heaven's doors for you and win the trophy of salvation. You just can't do it on your own merits. You're just not good enough. Fact is, most people think that God's going to change his mind when he sees you. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people. I speak to a lot of people that think, oh, you know, if, I just, if I'm just good, God's going to change his mind when he sees me. Most think that God is going to show mercy and pour out his grace when they see him face to face. I hope so. I don't wish anything else for anybody. But compared to everyone else, you see, the, the fetist mindset is, compared to everyone else, you may be farther along than others. But compared to the destination of heaven, unless your sin debt is paid in full, you haven't gone anywhere. You're still at ground zero. Now, after almost 30 years of playing golf, myself, because I love playing the game of golf, I never had a hole-in-one until last year. It was a pretty awesome day. That's when you get, take one shot and it goes into the hole. But I came close so many times. And every time I came close, I would come home and I would share with my wife, Carolyn. said, honey, I came so close. I said, I had a shot today. It was on the edge of the cup. I almost had a hole in one. And she would say the same thing every single time. She would say, well, honey pie, well, close, close isn't good enough, is it now? And I would just walk away like this. Oh, man. Just one like a sad puppy. I just lost his bone. And I just want to tell you this. You cannot get from planet Earth to heaven because it is too far. Even with the best intentions, I just want to tell you today, it's impossible. See, you can have the best intention to swim around the world. You could really want to. You could really mean it. You could really believe that you can swim around the world, believe that you can do it, but you can't in your own strength. You see, I can have the best intention to change the Lakers basketball season around. Because I used to play this game. 
I can do a lot with a basketball. I can still palm it. I can still twist it on my fingers. Sometimes I can, see, a little bit. But I can't even dribble a basketball anymore. But I'll tell you this, I can't change their season because I can't do it in my own strength. It's an issue I can't fix. But compared to you all, I have a better shot at helping the Lakers than you. I really do, and I stink. I can't play the game of basketball anymore. But close and closer does not count in God's court. And I just want to tell you this tonight, that the cross at its core is that the issue of sin was addressed and paid for for me and for you. That's how important the cross is. The cross takes you to the place you can't get to in your own strength and by your own works. The cross takes you to the place that pays the penalty for the sentence of your sins. And by the way, you've already been sentenced, and I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. So number two, what was the payment? Let's talk about this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned. We were born into sin. If you can't remember a time that you've sinned, you were born into sin. And just like Sarah Lynn said, by the way, I sinned on the 405 this morning. Uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. Uh, but all of us have sinned. And if we sin one time, the Bible says, you're in the same category as major league lawbreakers as anyone else. All it takes is one sin to break this streak of perfection. That's all it takes. And the wages of sin is death. There's a physical death. There's a spiritual death. And the last time that I look, as my daughter always says, one out of one of us are going to die eventually. You see, sin produced a debt so great that while man owns the debt, only God has enough to pay for it. While we own it, God has enough to pay for it. And while we own the debt, and it's our bill, only God can pick up the tab. Only God can pick up that tab. Sin is our problem. I keep on saying this, but I want you to get this. But only God can pay for it. But here comes the complicated problem. If the penalty for sin is death, and a death has to take place to take care of our sins, and we can't pay it, but only God can pay it, and again, death is the only way, to wipe away our sins and the only one who can afford to pick up that tab is God how can God pay for it with a death if he's a spirit that never dies right God's a spirit he never dies right exactly which is why God sent his son Jesus not to come as God but to come as a man fully God fully man it's called the incarnation to save us in the form of a man so that the ultimate death could occur to save us from death and give us eternal life. Jesus became what's called the God-man. When you hear somebody say, hey, you're the man, you're the man. No, there's only one man. It's Jesus Christ. He's the God-man. Fully God, fully human, to die as a man, but have the perfection, don't miss this, but have the perfection and the holiness of God. Jesus 
just didn't die a man. He died a man who never sinned for 33 years in the form of a man. He came to this earth and lived 33 years without blemish, without sinning. 33 years. I can't go 33 minutes. 33 years. Stay with me on this. On the cross, God took the penalty so he can love the sinner, pay for the sin, satisfy his wrath, so he can express his love without compromising his nature or perfection. That's what God did. On the cross, God became man and died because he had no debt to pay himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said this, God made him who had no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only do you get forgiven, but you actually become the righteousness of God. We're going to be talking about that later on and also next week as well too. What in the world does that mean? Here's what that means. To satisfy the debt, your debt, you have to be as good as God. You have to be as good as God. Imagine that. Because God demands perfection. And Jesus lived 33 years, again, and not one second, not one day did he do anything that didn't please his father. He lived a perfect life. On Good Friday, Jesus, who knew no sin, became our sin and our substitute for our sin. It's like this. It's like you have a million-dollar debt that you can't pay, and someone calls you and tells you that someone else has credited your account with something from their account and has canceled your million-dollar debt. Imagine that. Well, that's what happened with your sins. On the cross, two things happened. He paid the price for your sin. That's one part. But don't miss this. And this is what I've been trying to say for the last five minutes. He takes the life that Jesus lived, the 33 perfect years, he takes his holy, he takes his power, he takes everything that Jesus was and will be, and he credits that to your account. He looks at your sin and he takes that from your account and he takes what Jesus did and he adds that to your account. So you inherit, this is what I like to call the bonus plan. You not only have your sins forgiven, but everything that Jesus has, you have. Everything that Jesus is capable of doing, you're capable of doing. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you. The things that Jesus did, these are the words of Jesus, you'll do, but even greater. I can't wrap my mind around that one, but those are his words. You deal with it, because I can't. Through Jesus, you become debt-free from your sins and get the perfect surplus through the life of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ is the only form of payment that God takes. Speaking of that payment, everyone's going to need proof of that payment, right? When you get your debt canceled, you want proof that the debt was canceled. That's the third thing we want to talk about. You want proof that the payment was made. Now, the resurrection on Easter is your proof that a payment was made on your behalf. Your Father in heaven is going to want to see your receipt. You know what your receipt is? Your receipt that you accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross, 
Your receipt is when he sees the seal of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, when he sees the seal of the Holy Spirit that seals you, that the Apostle Paul was talking about, seals you for the day of redemption, he sees himself in you. Jesus needs to see himself through his, through his Holy Spirit working in and through you as his receipt, knowing that you've been redeemed by accepting what his son did for you. And here's the reason why. And here's why I say all of this. You cannot place living faith in a dead Savior. A dead Savior can't help anybody. Now, I don't think it's theologically wrong for someone to have a cross with Jesus on it. But there's so much more. If that's all you believe, that he's still on that cross, there's so much more to him being on that cross. He came off the cross. He defeated that cross. He defeated the grave. And there's so much more to his death than just him being on that cross. My sister, uh, her name is Thea, T-H-E-A. I'm explaining that right now because she's in the hospital and she needs your prayers. And uh, she's in really bad shape. So just keep Thea in your prayers. Uh, I love my sister. love both my sisters. And uh, just, keep them, just keep her in your prayers. She's in, she's in the hospital in the Bronx and really needs your prayers. One day she called me. She says, I'm really having a bad day. I said, what kind of day are you having? She goes, well, I'm driving. And uh, she said, what does it mean uh, if Jesus falls off your cross? Because I was driving the day Jesus fell off my cross. I said, honey, you're not having a bad day. If he jumps back on the cross, you may be in trouble. <laughs> okay? <laughs> But you may want to leave them off the cross, is what I suggest that you do. And, uh, but the Apostle Paul said this. You see, a dead Savior, you see, I just want to say this. A dead Savior can't help anyone. You see, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. And that a powerful scripture? See, I don't trust dead people. I just don't. I don't trust. Listen, here's who I trust. I trust the person who defeated death, who cancels the debt that I owe. That's who I trust. I trust in Jesus Christ, the only one who did what he said he was going to do and come back from the grave. Everyone else that people are following, every other religion, every other form of religion, is from someone who never came back from the grave. I don't know about you, but if someone said, I'm going to defeat the grave, I'm going to defeat death and come back and said, I can have the same life too, I'm going to follow that person. And that's who I follow. See, here's what Jesus did. I trust the person who defeated death and cancels the debt that I owe. See, the cross led to a death, a death. That death led to a tomb, and then an empty tomb, and then a resurrection, and a promise that I'm going to experience the same thing and the same destination if I put my trust and faith in the finished work of Christ. Spurgeon said that the general religion of mankind is do, is spelled D-O, but the religion of a true Christian is spelled D-O-N-E, done. And that's why tonight's talk is called the finished work of Christ. It is finished is the believer's con conquering word. Incarnate love has fulfilled his self-imposed task. Spurgeon goes on to say, Jesus, as the substitute for sinners, was condemned to die. 
And he died that he might finish the work of our redemption. Your sins have sustained their death blow. The robe of your righteousness has received its last thread. It is done. It is complete. It is perfect. So number four, what do you do with this? What do I do with this? See, God's not going to credit your account until you, you declare your spiritual bankruptcy and realize that you can't save yourself from your sins and from the debt incurred from those sins. See, you don't declare legal bankruptcy, chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 13, whatever it is, until all hope is lost. See, bankruptcy is throwing in your financial towel. And God only accepts the death of Christ as payment for sin, period. And the death of Jesus was so complete, was so finalized, that your good works, they're just not transferable funds. They can't help you when it comes to salvation. That is what tetelestai means. It is finished, paid in full. We owe a debt we can never pay. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. Tony Evans puts it this way. All the funds necessary to pay for our total redemption were put up by Jesus on the cross. Or as Warren Worsby put it, he took my bankruptcy and covered it with his sovereignty. He didn't just make a down payment and then expect me to keep up the installments. Hebrews 9.26, but now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. His empty tomb and his resurrection are undisputable testimony to the fact that the Father accepted his son's payment for sin on our behalf as our substitute. Now, years ago, when a Roman citizen was convicted of a crime, he was thrown into a prison. A certificate of debt listed all his crimes was nailed to his cell door so that anyone passing by could know what he'd been accused of and the penalty assessed on top of that. When the prisoner had served his sentence and was released from bondage, the indictment was taken down from the door and the judge who had put him in prison would sign the indictment and write across this word. He would write this word on top of the indictment, Tetelestai. He would write that word. The freed prisoner was then given this document, and if questioned as to why he was out of jail, he would point to the indictment across to which the judge had written Tetelestai. He could rest in safety and security because the word Tetelestai guaranteed his deliverance and his liberty for the rest of his life. The charges for those crimes can never again be brought against him. He would never be a victim of double jeopardy, having to pay for the same crime twice. And when Jesus cried out to Telestai on the cross, he was saying that anyone who places in trust on the sacrificial death on their behalf receives, in essence, a certificate of debt with the inscription of Tetelestai indicating that all their crimes, all your sins, past, present, and future against God have been paid in full. That's good news. And in light of this truth, Paul could write that because our debt was paid in full by Jesus, God has forgiven all of our sins. 
all of our sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the condemning evidence of broken laws and commandments, which always hung over our heads, by the way. I'm not sure if you know that. And has completely annulled it by nailing it over his head on the cross. And then taking everything that the enemy had against us, publicly exposing them, shattering and annihilating all of it. The enemy's best work against you and I and humanity, leaving the enemy of our souls empty and defeated. Here's a key scripture. Look what it says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. It says this. He forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. What is that? I was sharing with the guys in the House of Hope last night. He forgave us all of our sins. Having, did, did you know that there's a written code with its regulations that stands opposed to you today? If you haven't put your total faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, that's the law. And there's been a, there, there's a court case that's already been decided on your behalf, and you've been declared guilty in the spiritual courts. Before anything, you've been declared guilty. And nothing could reverse that guilty verdict except Jesus Christ and what he did for you on that cross. And that's what it says in Colossians. He forgave us all of our sins, but he canceled the written code. He canceled the guilty verdict that was placed on your life with its regulations that was against you and stood opposed to you. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Not only did he do that, but it says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God took the best plan. Jesus took the best plan the enemy had against me and you, and he annihilated that plan by paying our debt. That's what he did. By paying our debt. Don't miss that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities too. We're going to talk about that more next week. But here's what that means. If I could just just explain it to you in in the most simple way possible. Before the cross, sin had a hold on you. And before you accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross, sin had a hold on you. And you had no power over sin. But when Jesus said to Telestai, it was a declaration that whoever would trust and accept what what he did on the cross, that they would have the same powers to disarm the powers and authorities too. Not only would you be declared not guilty, but you would have the same power and authority to overcome the enemy's best plan against your life. And you inherited that same power. And after the cross, sin will no longer have a hold on you, but you will have a hold on sin. You will have a hold on sin and have the power to overcome sin in your life. Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And when you can wrap your mind around this simple truth that you can trust in the finished work of Christ for what he did so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be healed and set free, it'll change your life. 
Because every day you wake up, you're always thinking about, well, what can I do next? What can I do next? What do I need to do next? What do I have to do to get this? What do I have to do so God will do this? What do I, what do I have to do? You see, when you don't trust in the finished work of Christ, you'll try and accomplish something that's already been done. Trying to do something that's already been done is not smart. You'll never be able to accomplish something that's already been finished. And what God wants us to do is rest in the finished work of Christ. Encounter signature verse for anchor three, which is respond to the love of God by surrendering my life and will to Jesus Christ. It's found in Galatians 2.20, which says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? about your life? Can you say, I am crucified with Christ? See, tonight we learned what the finished work of Christ means regarding our sins and the debt that we owe. Next week, we're going to learn how to live the victorious, crucified life, trusting in the finished work of Christ. In other words, if something's already been finished, Jesus says it is it is finished, and he wants us to trust in the finished work of Christ. What does that look like in our life? How, 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 what am I supposed to do? How, how do I live out this crucified life in Christ and experience healing and transformation? How, how do I crucify every part of my life so that every part of my life can be resurrected and made new in Christ, and I can live with power, and I can walk in authority. I can walk in a, in, in a new and true identity in Christ. I can have childlike faith and just trust and believe. And, and I can walk in victory. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about how to live the transformed, powerful life of a crucified life in Christ. It'll be the cross part two. There was, a, there was a guy, an evangelist named Alexander Wooten. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And uh, he was approached by, he was a big evangelist. He was approached by a young man who asked, what must I do to be saved? And Wooten replied, it's too late. The young man be, became alarmed, asking, do you mean that it's too late for me to be saved? Is there nothing I can do? And Wooten replied, too late. It's already been done. It's finished. And the only thing you can do is believe and receive. 1 John 1, 12 says, to those who believed them received him, Jesus. He gave them the right to be called children of God. If you've never trusted in the finished work of Christ, now that you know that you have a debt that you can't pay, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ maybe for the first time. Maybe you thought you gave your life to Christ. But you've never, ever, ever fully realized the depravity and the sentence that was handed down to you. And there's nothing you could do to take care of this debt that you owe. Maybe you've been playing God. Maybe you've been walking around thinking you can earn God's, earn God's salvation. Maybe you think God's been grading you on the curve. Maybe you think God's going to change his mind when he sees you. 
And as we begin to sing and worship, I want to give you an opportunity. Open up your heart. That's what the third talk is going to be. It's going to be an Easter message on responding to what Jesus did for us. But we don't have to wait for that third week. The way you do it is you just respond to his love. You believe, you receive, you repent of those sins, you turn from those sins, you turn to God, you trust in him and him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the free gift of eternal life so that you can walk around knowing that you're forgiven, paid in full, to walk around t- telling strangers, Tetelestai. I've been Tetelestai. See, I used to live to tell a lie, but now I've been Tetelestai. It's finished. My sin debt is paid in full. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was deaf, but now I hear. I once was headed to hell, but now I'm destined for heaven. And I know that I know because I trusted in what Jesus did for me. My name was written in a book in heaven, never to be erased. And Ephesians 2.8 says this, we are saved by grace, by faith, because of God's grace, not by works so no one can boast. If you want to receive God's gift of grace, that's what it is. This is what grace is. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve to have my sins forgiven, but I'm forgiven. It is finished. Thank God, as my wife would say. Thank God. If you don't know that you've been forgiven, if you're not sure about your salvation, settle that tonight. Everybody bow your heads. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this prayer. And pray it out loud. And here's why I want you to pray it out loud. Maybe as a prayer of recommitment, maybe a prayer for the first time. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you won't acknowledge me before men, I won't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Jesus died on a cross publicly so we would declare him publicly and live for him publicly so that when we see him face to face, he can look at us and say, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant, child of mine. Pray this prayer with me. Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against you, myself, family, and everybody that I know. I repent of those sins. I turn from those sins. And I turn to you. I open up my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and my Savior. And I trust in Him and Him alone for the forgiveness of my sins and the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for declaring me not guilty. 
Now fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I'll have the power and the grace to live out the life that you've called me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.